I want to be sensitive to something. Uh, so we're going to kind of take this, the, the talk in the direction I planned, but it, I, I, I think we're going to interrupt it at a couple of points just because, you know, the, the, you, you probably have a sense of the Lord here. And uh, we want to try to, you know, learn to be open to him because and, and, it's, it's, it's all about him. So if he wants to interrupt things, then, you know, we want to be open to him interrupting things. So uh, there's a, a verse in the Bible that it's one of those interesting verses that you can read it and just ponder it and go, what on earth is that? That's, wow, that, that, that's full of, I, it, I read it and, it and it just creates all kinds of questions and wonder, like, what was that like? Because, uh, you know, we know that the, the whole story of the gospel is about God who made us coming into the creation that he made that was good, that went sideways, and then we fell, and the creation is a mess now. And he came in, in his son Jesus, and, and brought redemption, and he's going to return and bring restoration of all things. But the story of the gospel that we have has a, a one, one line in it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. Now, I, want, I just want you to look at one part of that. It says that Jesus grew. He grew. And he didn't just grow like, you know, because we knew Christmas, he's a baby on the cross. He's an adult, you know, <laughs> kind of implies that, that there was physical developmental growth. But it says there was all this other kind of growth. And it says that if you want to read it, it says that he grew spiritually. Because he was fully man as well as fully God. It says he grew in wisdom and stature with and in favor with God and with people. And so following Jesus, this is a little takeaway I want you to, to embrace, takeaway point. Following Jesus is a journey through stages of spiritual growth. Okay? If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to go on a journey through a series of stages of spiritual growth, hopefully. Sometimes people get stuck, and, and I want to point that out. Just leave it out there, because you may look at your life right now, and as you hear what we talk about this morning, you may go, oh, you can sort of plot where you are in the spiritual growth spectrum and go, okay, that's where I am. And it gives you a sense of, well, okay, I want to move forward. What do I need to do to move forward? We're not going to be able to discuss every aspect of each of these stages, because Obviously, if you look at the life of Jesus, to going from an infant to a full-grown adult, there was around 30-plus years of experience in life, and it's, life's complex. Life is full of all kinds of ins and outs. And so I'm only going to touch on really one little point in each of these stages, just for your sake, uh, because I got poked at this morning. Remember, keep it, keep it short. Uh, Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody thought it was funny. Okay. So in First John, I'm going to read this passage to you. Some of you might, might be familiar, might not. But uh, John the Apostle is writing to some Christians in churches that, that he uh, probably helped start. And here's what he said. He says, I, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. 
And I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who's from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Then he repeats it again, and he kind of modifies it. He says, I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who's from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you're strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you've overcome the evil one. So when he, when, just a quick comment in case it hung you up a little bit. When he says fathers and young men, those are, those are Jewish terms for people. He wasn't just talking to the, the men that were part of the churches that he started. He was talking to everybody. It's just a, a colloquialism like we use today. Like I, I'll write a note to a group of people and I'll say, hey, gang, or hey, guys. And it, my friends know I'm, I'm saying it's about everyone. And maybe it's a leftover from our patriarchal past, but it's, it's not implying any sort of women are inferior to men or less important or less valued. He's, he's addressing everybody. And so he's, he says here that if you, if you notice, he, he talked about three stages of, of life. And in a sense, and what he was saying is that these are like three stages of spiritual maturity. And I told you my point was if you're following Jesus, you're on a journey through stages of spiritual growth. And John, and I think you could argue that there might be more than three, but for John's purposes, he's just naming three here. There's spiritual childhood, then there's young adulthood, and you wonder why did he skip teenagers? I'll tell you that in a second. And then spiritual parenthood. So he said, there's three stages that we are going to journey in following Jesus through, hopefully. Childhood, young adulthood, mature adulthood, parenthood. Now, why isn't teenagers mentioned in there? Well, frankly, historically, the whole idea of teenagers popped into existence in probably the 1920s, apparently, from historians that uh, almost all cultures, uh, children became adults at a certain point. You know, if you, if you look in Jewish culture, there's a bar mitzvah where children become adults. And almost all cultures have rites of passage for men and women. And they go from childhood to adulthood. But all of them also recognize young adulthood versus mature adulthood. And so, in, you know, in the first century, John, who probably wrote this in his 60s or 70s, he's writing to them and he's telling them this. And so, <clears throat> the first stage of spiritual adulthood, we're just going to touch on this briefly. He, he said to the children, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And down verse 14, he says, uh, because you've known the Father. He said those were two characteristics. Now, there's more characteristics. But John was just talking about those because they link with themes that he's touching on, on his letter here. But what he says is, spiritual childhood is characterized by, by the joy of knowing your sins have been, have been forgiven and that you know the Father. Now, it, some of us are, are a little ways away from our spiritual childhood, so it's hard to look back. But I can tell you, just from my own personal experience, I came out of, you know, really an unchurched background, and when I met Christ my freshman year in college, when I gave my life to Christ, the night I did, 
I experienced those two things. And I couldn't explain them because I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know Bible quotes or anything. I just heard someone explain the gospel and invite me to receive Christ into my life. It was a real simple kind of gospel message. And I did. And what I experienced immediately was, I remember telling my friends, I don't know how to explain this, but I feel like suddenly I know God. Like God, who I kind of thought might be real, I know him. Like I have this sense, like I know. I don't know him in his totality, but all of a sudden, there's some, something has happened where I'm con- in some connection with him that I didn't have before. And I felt forgiven. And I can tell you at that point in my life, I had a lot. At, as a young man of 18 years old, I had a lot to be forgiven of. But I felt like, wow, there is this lightness that I experienced. And, it, and it, I didn't do anything. Now, that's the point about being a, a spiritual child is you're experiencing this gift. And, and I, the, the best way to characterize it or, or to understand it is when Jesus was on the cross. So think, think, imagine someone, this is a crucifix and Christ is on it and he's suffering and dying. One of the last things that Jesus said when he was on the cross, which is key to spiritual childhood, is he, he hung on the cross and he said, it's finished. In, in Greek, it's the word telestai. It's finished. He cried out, it's finished. And what that meant was the, the payment for sin, for all the sins that everybody was ever going to commit, was done. The debt was paid. He took all of our sins. He took all the shame. Like the song we sang, all the, all the, the, theme, the, the theme of almost every song today was what Jesus did was for us. And when we believe in him, we experience the power of what he did. And I remember feeling guilty growing up and not having any answer for it except to, to just stay baked. I just stayed high. Once I, 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 you know, once I discovered certain kinds of medications, it was a solution to what I felt inside. And when I met Christ, all of a sudden, all that stuff was gone. The guilt was gone. And what had happened was, <clears throat> I experienced what he says here, your sins have been forgiven. We can't get it, the grammar, the Greek grammar here is a present tense. It's done. It's finished. It's over. It's complete. You don't have to do anything. And, and you know, a lot of people have made the point that the difference between the, the gospel message of, of a relationship with God and all the other messages about how to know God is, those other messages are all based on what you do. You need to do this. You need to, you need to go to a temple. You need to perform certain rituals. You need to follow a prescribed way of life. You need to uh, embrace this, that, and the other. But what the Bible says, what the gospel says, is that you welcome as a gift forgiveness and eternal life and a relationship with God through a person, Jesus, that you don't do anything 
You accept what he's done. It's a real simple thing. And when you do, the burden is lifted off of you because it was already put on him. And the, and the, but when you believe in him, the power of what he did all of a sudden is released in your life. And so a life of following Jesus is a life of faith. And, and this whole stage that we're trying to get through, if you want to say there's a word for it, to go through spiritual childhood means that you learn to rest. That you learn to rest in what Jesus has done. You learn to rest in your new identity. I am. I mean, if, if another way you could characterize this spiritual stage is, God wants you to know in as deep and as impactful a way as possible that you are a beloved child of God through your faith in Jesus. Because you've put your faith in Jesus, you're now, your status has been changed. The status that Jesus had on the cross is yours. And all your mess is his. There's been an exchange. You have a new status. It's, and it's a gift. You don't have to do anything other than believe in him. Which is, and belief is not a passive thing. Believe is an active thing. To believe is to entrust your life to him. It is to give him your life and to receive back from him his life. And then that life, his life, is now your life. You're united with him and joined with him. That's why there's so much joy in it when you experience it. And it's free for everyone. So the challenge of this is that this gift that you've received, you'll be attacked around that whole idea for the rest of your life because this is the foundation of your whole spiritual life. Childhood is, just like as childhood is the foundation of our whole lives in natural human development, this promise of the gospel is the foundation of your life. And if, if you want your life to ever be what Jesus means for it to be, you have to rest in his finished work. As soon as you start struggling, you start moving away from his grace. And we're warned over and over and over, you can't try. You have to trust that righteous people live by trust. And as long as you do, you experience a reality of it. Now, even if, if, if you're struggling, it doesn't mean you're not a child of God. It doesn't mean you always feel like a child of God. You are a child of God by your faith in Jesus, whether you feel like it or not, whether you act like it or not. Because it's not based on how you're acting. It's based on your trusting in him and abiding in him. So this is a stage that I think we always have to go back to and, and look at it again and again and again because we struggle with it. Like I said, it's, it, this part of our life is under constant pressure from the world around us and from our own doubts and from uh, spiritual warfare, spiritual attack. Satan, the enemy, is the accuser. He's the accuser of you and I. 
and he will accuse you. The Bible says he accuses us before God night and day. And he, he reminds you of all the wrong things that you've done, all the stuff that you've said, all the stuff that you've thought, all the stuff that you hide from everybody else. He sees it and he just accuses you over and over and over because he wants to undermine your sense of holding on to this promise that you're a beloved child of God and that that doesn't change your status. Anybody ever experienced that? So what we want to do just for a second, I said it's just the Lord, the, the Holy Spirit comes to confirm to us that we're children of God. Okay, that's, what's, that's what Romans 8, 8 says. And Romans 8, 15 says in particular that the Holy Spirit, one of his titles is the spirit of adoption. And he doesn't just come the first time we, we meet Jesus. But Jesus himself, as he grew through his life, he had an experience when he was baptized, which is a picture of what God wants to do for you on a regular basis. Like I experienced it here when we were worshiping. Sorry, it's a it's fresh. We were worshiping, and I experienced the Father's love for me. I just experienced it. I just felt, wow, you love me. You love me. Me. He loves me. And he wants each of us to experience that on a regular basis. It's not just a one-time thing, but remember when Jesus was baptized. Nobody knew who Jesus was except that he was he was the bastard son of a carpenter. That's what people called him. It wasn't a curse word. It was a, it was a, a, a term of disrespect because they weren't sure, you know, that his mom and his dad, the, that whole thing. And that was very scandalous in the first century Palestinian Jew, among first century Palestinian Jews. And that, that followed Jesus his whole life. And when he was baptized down at the Jordan River, and he went down the banks into the water, and he approached John the Baptist with all the other sinners. Because that's what he does. He identifies with our sin. He had no sin, but he went down and identified with our sin. And when he went into the water and came up out of the water, it says the Spirit of God descended on him. The Spirit descended on him. And everybody heard a voice. This is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And that is our birthright. That is your birthright. That is the birthright of everybody here. And so I just want to ask you, if, if you've experienced any struggle in this stage, and maybe you really, you've gone on past this stage in many respects, as you, as you listen to what I say, you're going to say, yeah, I am. I've moved past that. But you know that you're still struggling in this area. We just want to pray for you just for a second. That the Spirit would come and He would give you a growing sense that you're a beloved child of God. That you're a son or a daughter of the Father. And just stand up. We're just going to pray. We're not going to take very long. Just a quick prayer. Anybody? Everybody's all secure. You're all secure in the Father's love. Just overwhelmed with the sense of his love. Day and night. You wake up in the morning. Thank you, Father. You love me. It's a simple act of faith. Okay, so the people are staying. If you could just extend your hand towards them. 
in, in Jesus' name, you guys just hold your hands out if you're standing. We bless you with the spirit of adoption. Penny, we bless you with the spirit of adoption. Each one of you. That you'd experience a fresh sense of his love. That it'd be released in you right now. It would well up inside you and be released in you. And it would soak you. It would just become like a fragrant perfume all around you. And that the experiences you've had of the Father's love in the past, I bless them to be awakened, and reawakened in your life. And I break any shame off of you, any guilt, of, that any accusation has brought in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's still a sense of the Lord's presence just sitting on us. And, you know, I, sometimes you, you, when you receive prayer, it can be, like, shockingly powerful or it can be surprisingly subtle. But if you maintain a posture of just being open, it will continue to build, because the Spirit kind of comes in, in oftentimes in our lives in waves, just waves, like, and then another one, and another one. So second, second stage of spiritual growth is spiritual young adulthood. And this is, this, whereas young adulthood, I mean, uh, childhood is, is characterized by resting, I'm going to read you this passage, and you, and see what word, there's a word that will come to your mind. I write to you, Young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God lives in you and you've overcome the evil one. If spiritual childhood is a stage where you are learning to embrace the fact that you're a beloved child of God, spiritual young adulthood is where you realize there's a battle. There's a battle. And you're called into it. There's, there's a war going on. And so he says, you've overcome the evil one in Jesus. You're strong because the word of God, living and written, lives in you. And what he's saying here is that we are called into partnership with Jesus. We're called into partnership with Jesus. And the word, if, if, if spiritual childhood is rest, spiritual young adulthood is wrestling. Spiritual childhood is rest, spiritual young adulthood is wrestling. And so if you're in this stage of your life and you're going, whoa, <laughs> I know what you mean about that wrestling. Like I'm like in a tug of war. I feel like I'm, you know, like I get into a turnstile sometimes and I can't get out of it. I get disoriented and overwhelmed. It's like I'm getting rocked from my left and my right and below and above and back and forwards. That's what you should expect. Because at a certain point, God gets you established in grace. Now he wants you to become who you are and he wants you to join him. You're a partner 
This is a biblical theme. This is one of the most significant themes in the Bible. That we're called to partnership with God. And, and again, this idea of partnership with God will be contested, spiritually contested. You will experience all kinds of dismissive sorts of attacks. Some of them come inside your own head. Like, I can't do that. That's not possible. All those kinds of thoughts, uh, they, they aren't all from the enemy. Sometimes they, they're just the product of our own culture, our family culture, our church culture. Uh, I can't tell you how many people have told me. I've been in situations before where I'm, I, I've been invited in to groups where people don't believe that God's very active and alive. And we'll be talking and they're pushing back. And I remember a number of times this happened, and we just go, well, you don't believe God does anything. Let's pray right now. God, I, I believe God wants to do something right now. And they look at me, well, we just want to talk about it. That's what someone said. No, we just want to talk about this. I go, no, 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 let's pray. Let's see what God wants to do. And, and pray, and then invite the Spirit to come, and God shows up. And people get healed. And Nobody believes in healing in the group. And God shows up and heals people. God shows up and man causes demons to manifest, which really surprised a whole house full of leaders when that happened. But God's real. We're called to partner with him. And the enemy wants to contest that. And some of you, you're kind of constantly in this, I think that's true, I don't think it's true, Probably not true for me. Probably true for you, John, but not me. That's part of the battle that we have. That's part of the wrestling is to take this ground of partnership back. So we have a battle to fight alongside Jesus. And there's a journey. If, if you're, there's a key to this. If you're going to move into partnership, you have to embrace a lifestyle of hearing and obeying, and then sharing the word. You need to, on a daily basis, be hearing from God. We can't live by bread alone. We can't. We just can't live by just physical nourishment. We have to hear from God. You know, all the pictures that Jesus used to remind us of how we're dependent beings, and we need to lean into him and receive from him, and not just go through the motions. So, okay, I read my, you know, okay, John, you know, you've got this. Uh, here's, the, here's the thing. Uh, if, if you're not on it, uh, read scripture, the little app that you can get on your smartphone. If you have a dumb phone, then you can't put this on it. But if you have a smartphone, it's free. And what it does is every day, it, it's, it's this cool little app that gives you a few passages to read. In fact, uh, it comes with uh, uh, frequently with little videos, little five or six minute videos that explain a theme that you're going to be reading, especially in the Old Testament. It's really helpful, but it's free. And so as a church, we're going through it. At least a lot of us are. I hope, I hope you'll uh, pick that up and, and listen to it. But I know because I've done it myself, as you can, you can read that just sort of like, I uh, just check the box. Read verses. Or you can read it and pray and say, God, as I read this, speak to me. And I'm going to linger over this until I hear you speak to me. 
And then when you speak to me, I'm going to respond in some meaningful way according to what you're speaking to me. And I'm going to share that with somebody else. And if you do that, you will experience what he says here. You've overcome the evil one. You're strong and the word lives in you. You can't grow without the living word and the written word. We just can't. We really can't. We can't. We won't. And you'll constantly just struggle with trying to rest in Jesus when if you don't move forward, that will not be ground that you can hold on to very easily. Okay? Like a, a simple, another simple thing is like all the spiritual armor that we have, if you, if you read the spiritual armor, you'll notice it doesn't have any kind of armor for your back. So if you start going backwards, you're going to take heavy fire. And if, if you don't keep moving forward, one step at a time, God doesn't expect us to make great leaps. He just expects us to hear his word and respond. That's how you grow. God speaks, I respond. God speaks, I respond. And not everything you hear, not everything you're going to hear in this teaching today is God's word to you. But some part of it will be. And so you need to be listening. Help me to be open so I hear your word, whatever part of it is. So <clears throat> the problem is a lot of people don't get through this stage. A lot of people don't get through this stage. This is where a lot of people go in the ditch, and I want to tell you why. Uh, I've, I've been a pastor for a long time, been a Christian for longer than that. And I've, on the journey I've been on, I look back, and I, I see hundreds of people in the ditch. And I didn't kick them in the ditch. Some of you are looking and saying, well, John, they're in your ditch. What's going on here? No, we're all on the same road. But I see people in the ditch, and here's why. Because some point when you go from rest to wrestling, it's easy to think this is the end of the journey. I'm, this is all it's about. It's just about doing. And what God wants to do when we get to a certain point in this journey is he wants to take us on an inward journey into our own lives and our own hearts. And he wants to start doing some things in deep within us. Now, I'm not saying he hasn't done deep things in you before, but it goes at a whole nother level. And most people who get stuck in this stage, it's because they stop or they, they won't go forward in the inward journey. And, and we have all kinds of excuses. I don't want to drive looking in my rearview mirror. You know, well, I don't want you to either. But you, the rearview mirror is there for a reason. And it means there's things that you need to look at in your past. And it, 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 it's not going to affect me. It's, not gonna, it's no skin off me if you don't deal with your past. It's just going to hurt you. That's where a lot of people get stuck. Have you gotten stuck there? So I want to pray for a second before we get to the last point, because it's going to be short, because I don't know if any of us in this room have made it to the third one. Uh, but I'm just going to tell you what it is so you can keep it in front of you. If we're going to partner with God or we're going to go on the inward journey, we have to take steps of faith. And so 
If you need prayer today for something like a physical need, like Sheila told me, her rotator cuff is really hurting. We prayed for some of you last week. We prayed for some of you uh, over and over, and we're going to keep praying for you. Uh, I prayed for Steele with this brain injury he had for half an hour. Uh, the day before, he, went, he, went, he had this surgery. And uh, I came home, and I said, Kathy, I don't know what the deal is. I just I prayed for someone who had a lump of cancer. It's gone. Now I'm praying for this. And I came, you know, she, you know, she was like, stop whining, John. <laughs> no, she didn't say that. She was very understanding. That's what was going on in my head. I should stop whining. But I had to tell the Lord about it. I said, Lord, what's the deal here? You know, why, why do I see this and not see this? I just got silenced, so I just, I'm just going to keep praying. So if you want prayer for something, uh, we want to we pray for you. So just, we're going to, again, take a short second to do this. So, because the Lord's here, the Spirit's still here, and he's, I think there's for us to do this. I'm going to stop. So who wants prayer for something? Sheila, you stand up, because Sheila did. You want prayer for anything? Steve, Sheila, uh, everybody who's older is going to stand up. We're all just breaking down. We're like a car with 400,000 miles on it. <laughs> oh, look, Aaron. All right, Aaron. It, well, that's what, if, if you're, if you're, you want prayer for something. Now, the, those of you that are, feel like I'm in stage two, I'm in this, this is where, this, I'm in the wrestling stage. I want you to help pray for the people that are standing up. And you guys know how we pray for people. Just you know, keep it short and sweet. Pray your prayers. Ask them what's wrong and pray the best prayer for them. And if you're here and you want to choose to begin to take the inward journey, and you may know you, that may make you nervous, inward journey, ooh, that sounds scary. It, it is a little scary. God will show you some things that maybe you're not ready for, but he'll help you be ready for them. But if you are stuck in that stage and you want to move forward, we want to pray for you, and that'll be a real quick prayer, that God would begin to lead you. It's mostly you're standing up and saying, yes, yes. So who's that? Is there anybody inward feels uh, feels like, I want to go on the inward journey? This is where we need to, uh, Eric, I need you to record that Jeopardy music that dun, 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 where we just all wait not in silence it makes us all anxious okay go go pray for him come on you're in the wrestling stage pray and wrestle for him speak to the pain speak to it in Jesus name just going to take a minute or two real quick
groups. Okay, ask them how it's going and pray one more time. If, if they aren't better, there's no improvement, pray again. Ask them to move around once you've prayed for them. Ask them to test it. Even get up and walk around and test it. Okay. Everybody, find your, make your way back to your seat. We, we'll pray again after the service. So remember, here's the reality of when you pray for people. Sometimes... There's dramatic improvement. Sometimes it's just partial improvement. Sometimes there's no improvement, but they get better afterwards. They go home and they start feeling better. Uh, anybody that got prayed for experienced any improvement, any change? Raise your hand if you did, if you can. Okay, well, we'll keep, we're going to keep praying then. Uh, Sheila, you feel a little, some, some movement? You have more movement, good. Okay. Okay, good. Now, this is what, this is the wrestling part, is there's a wrestling inside us to want to pray for people. Like, I don't want to do that. What if nothing happens? Uh, you, you just have to fight that. Uh, any, and if, if, if you're going to love someone in any meaningful way, you're going to, it's going to cost you something. It's going, to, it's going to require something of you. But Jesus is in us, and he wants to partner with us, and he wants us to partner with him to show his love into the world and, and bring new creation into the world. Now, last stage is spiritual parenthood. Uh, and, and what it's characterized is not by rest, not by wrestling, but by knowing. Because what he said to the fathers, this, he used the same phrase, I'm writing to you fathers or spiritual parents because you know him who's from the beginning. And they're talking about Christ. You know him who's from the beginning. This is fathers. 
And so it's all about knowing Jesus. If you go back to the first stage, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And I write to you, little children, because you've known the Father. Knowing God is the pinnacle. Sometimes we think the pinnacle is doing, doing things for God. Nothing could be further from the truth. God doesn't need you to do anything. He can do it better than all of us put together. He he allows us to partner with him because it's our destiny, but our ultimate destiny, and this is the calling that each of us have, is the greatest calling we all have is to know God, is to really know him, to know his holiness, to know his mercy, to know his wisdom, to grow in stature like Jesus did, to grow in stature. That is the invitation that we have. Following Jesus is a journey of growing through spiritual stages. And the last stage, and the ultimate stage, the stage that we'll spend all eternity doing the most is knowing him. And if you read through the Gospels, there's a point where all this whole crowd of disciples are following Jesus. And Jesus is going to pick some out to be key leaders. And so in Mark 3, it says he went up to a mountain and he prayed Father, you know, which of these are supposed to be the apostles, the ones I send out? Because he's reconstituting the nation of Israel. He's not abolishing the nation of Israel. He's reconstituting it. God's plan is always to have a people, not an individual, you know, like, like a, a, a pile of rocks that aren't connected, a people. And so he picked 12 out, and it says in Mark 3 that he called them, that they might do three things. And the first thing he called them to do was to be with him. To know him. To get to know him. That everything that was going to happen in their lives is going to flow out of them getting to know him. So following Jesus, I know that, that most of us are really preoccupied with wanting to grow and change. And that's important. If you position yourself in a place of passionately pursuing Jesus, you're going to change as a byproduct. You will. You can't be in his presence without changing. (coughs) So, in, in this stage, the challenge, and this is what maturity comes down to is, It's the challenge of learning to see God as in all things. Whatever's going on in your life, God is in the middle of it. And you begin to realize, I have opportunities to know him better in every single thing that's going on in my life, good and bad. Because when we're younger and less mature, we think God's only in the mountaintop experiences. But over and over and over, right, isn't that what we learn that, like, David prayed uh, about the Lord is our shepherd, that though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me? And the most mature people are the people who come to realize God's in all things, in all places, working, everywhere. 
There's no God-free zone, right? There's no places, there's no pockets of emptiness and meaninglessness. God is in the middle of that. And so, I mean, the, the incarnation tells us that, that God comes in in, in a way and manifests itself in a way that's totally unlikely. It totally breaks the mold of our thinking. So I want to read one more passage and just invite you into something. I titled this An Invitation to a Journey, and there's a, there's a passage in uh, Philippians. And this is the invitation I want to, to speak to you from the Lord. Paul was writing to the church in Philippi. He said, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, because he'd planted the church and moved on to plant other churches, he said, continue, now listen to this, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you to will and work for his good pleasure. God is at work in you all the time to will and work for his good pleasure. But he, but he invites us to begin to cooperate with him. He invites us to say yes to this, to this journey. Because it's an invitation that, that we, we lose sight of. That he's walking, he's on the way that we're on. And he's asking us to go along that way with him. And if you stop doing that, you just go into a ditch on one side or the other. The road has a ditch on each side. And sometimes we, we fall in the ditch and we don't even realize we're in a ditch. And the, Jesus just comes along and says, come, follow me. Isn't that what the Gospels all start with? He finds people and he says, come, follow me. And then he showed them how different life could be as they followed him. And he invited them slowly, not just to follow him, to begin to partner with him. And then to go for him. Like they came to the point where they were mature enough where he said, I'm, I'm letting you do it. Because this is my plan. That there'd be more like me. That you'd be with me. And you'd become like me. And then you'd go and represent me. And introduce me to others. And then they'd walk with you and they'd become like me. And then this, this because that's what mothers and fathers do. We talked about that a few weeks ago, so I'll have to go back there again. So this is an invitation for you. And I'm not going to ask you to, to respond. I'm just going to ask you to hold this and hear it. Because God is at work in your heart. He's at work in your heart, inviting you to follow him in how you raise your children, in how you handle your money, where you work, where you spend your time, how you drive, your conversations with people. He's in this every space of your life. You're, you're, you're enveloped in him. And he's saying, would you welcome me into that space and begin to recognize what I'm doing there and begin to let me do the work I want to do in your heart, but also let me work. Would you let me work with you in that space? 
to bring my work of new creation into that place? This, this, is a, this is a calling to say yes to. And when we get together every week, we're supposed to be reminded of who God is. And in one sense, we look at the week past and thank him for it and apologize for stuff. And then, then we begin to anticipate the week ahead and we ask him to speak to us right now. And so that's what he's trying to do. Because there's a week ahead. And there's a life ahead. And you've been following him. And he's inviting you to, if some of you have lost your way, whatever, to, to step back on the way with him. So let's pray for a moment. And uh, then we'll close. Father, I thank you as, as we close this, that you showed us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with you and with people. And we've learned that following Jesus is a journey through stages of spiritual growth. And we want to move through those stages. And we thank you that you're moving with us. So we ask you, as, as we've heard from you, Lord, to give us grace now to just say yes. And to say yes with our family here. To the journey you have all of us on together. Lord, pick us up out of the ditch. We've lost our way. We know you, you're willing to stop and you're patient. We pray that you tune our ears again in a fresh way here with what we've heard this morning. That you tune our ears to hear your voice more clearly. And you open our eyes and the eyes of our heart as Paul prayed. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord, that we could see you and know you better. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you still want prayer, if you didn't, uh, we didn't get through the healing you're seeking, please come up front. We'll pray for you. And so prayer people, if you could come up front and help us pray.